0: Hebrews chapter 12, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are currently studying through the book of Hebrews verse by verse as we make our way through the New Testament book by book, thoroughly enjoying ourselves and uh, just really excited about what the Lord has for us today as we, um, we look to finish the book actually, we're going to get aggressive today and um, we'll see, we could get raptured. Again, you can't pray for rapture while I'm teaching, it's absolutely forbidden. You can't ask to be delivered from a, from a sermon uh, here. It's not, it's not lawful, um, not permissible either. So um, just wanted to encourage you with that. <laughs> uh, Hebrews chapter 12, let's begin in verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may, boldly, may, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices is God well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren... Bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We're just looking forward to a great feast, Lord, as we study your word and, and, and allow your spirit to teach us. We pray, Lord, that you would use all these verses, Lord for your holy use in our lives. We yield our hearts and our lives to you. We want to be fashioned, Lord, in the image of Christ. Make us more uh, a blessing to others around us as we allow you to do that by your spirit and by your power. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we're finishing up the book today... Obviously, we can't look at things in great depth here, but we're going to look at a lot of principles here in this passage as we finish out chapter 12 and, and, and go into chapter 13. He begins in verse 18 by saying, For you did, have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged, notice that word begged, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so, uh, and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. What's he talking about here? He's talking about when God gave the law of Moses uh, to the children of Israel. And what this writer is doing is bringing them back to that event. They're being tempted to go back under the law of Moses. And so he's trying to help them to see how foolish that would be to try to go back under, under that. And he, he brings up this, this image that they're, that they're all familiar with when Moses is there and, and God gives them this incredible law, or the beginning of it at least, the law, the Ten Commandments there. And so this writer is saying, you want to go back under that law? I want you to think about just the giving of the law, <laughs> I want you to think about how amazing that was, how difficult that was, uh, just in God speaking and his presence there in the context of a legal relationship with him. And that's exactly what the, the relationship that they had with God before they came to Christ. They had a legal relationship. The purpose of the law, as we're told in scripture, is to, is to be a schoolmaster, to be a, a, a uh, chaperone. That's really the meaning of the word to bring us to faith in Christ. Some of us may be Jews here. I know of at least one uh, here. But most of us are Gentiles. And we have the work of the law written on our hearts as Gentiles. And those that are Jews, they have the, the, the law directly applied to their life before they came to know Christ. And what it does is it shows us that we need a Savior. That we're guilty, that we're guilty, that we're guilty. We need a Savior, we need a Savior, we need a Savior. And that's the, the full purpose of the law. in God's presence in the context of that legal relationship when he gave that law was something that produced incredible things in the children of Israel. It produced fear. It produced insecurity. I highlighted that word begged. <laughs> they begged, you know, just, hey, whatever God wants to say to you, Moses, great. You relay it to us. We can't handle this. This is too much for us, for him to speak. I mean, you ever hear, hear uh, thunder just so loud, it just shakes your whole body? I remember one time I was in Siberia on a missions trip, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, and this thunder hit so loud, it felt like my heart was going to fly out of my chest. And that, is, that pales in comparison to when God speaks uh, in, in an audible voice, and in that um, situation with them. They were there submitted to God, they were there and and wanting to serve the Lord or whatever, but God knew that they needed a law as they were wandering. And so he spoke, and they couldn't hardly handle that that voice and and his presence and, and all of those things. They just couldn't handle it. And this writer's trying to say if just the giving of the law, if that mountain couldn't even handle uh, the giving of the law and and, and God's presence in in that sense, you want to go back under that, under a legal relationship with him, and basically wanting to get what you deserve? Because that's what the law does. It tells us what we deserve, and we deserve judgment. And so even Moses, we're told in verse 21, was so terrified, (laughs) uh, and he's like, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Even Moses Someone that, that had that much intimacy with God there. And, and so that was supposed to produce a sobriety in them with this writer. This writer's trying to produce a sobriety with them. You don't want to go back under the law. Even the giving of the law was, was so heavy that the children of Israel, they didn't they wanted God directly to speak to Moses and pass things on to them. Now notice he contrasts with that with our portion of verse 22. Notice the two words, but you. But you have come to Mount Zion... Nice to start the clock here. be good. And then you follow my own instructions. Uh, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. This word come to at the beginning of verse 22, it's an interesting word. There's a tense in the Greek language that communicates something that happened in the past, but, but the results continue into the present. I'll give you an example. In the New Testament, when we're told it is written... You ever wonder why it, has, it wasn't phrased, it was written? It's because it's saying it was written, but it has implications on your life right now. It stands written. The implications continue. That's the tense that he uses. He says, but you have come. You, it happened one time. You were saved. You were a believer. I mean, you are a believer. There's a point in which you became that believer. And that has implications today, now. And, and, and he says, you have come to Mount zion into the city of the living god it's very possible that they these believers lived in jerusalem we don't know that but they held that city in such high esteem even today you talk to a jew jerusalem is everything and and they love that city and they get as close as they can To where that temple used to be they get to that retaining wall there and they have their prayers and so forth that location means everything to them so if that's the case here we don't know but if it's the case maybe these believers at least these believers wherever they were from they traveled to Jerusalem at this point because the the temple's still going strong and sacrifices are being made and so forth and so they would come that every adult male had to go to uh, three feasts a year And so they had to come to this city. Very possible that because they were Christians now, they couldn't be a part of that thing. And so it's very possible he's trying to get their attention onto something entirely different related to um, a city here. Not just Jerusalem, but a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Something far greater than the earthly Jerusalem. We're told in Revelation that the new Jerusalem is going to descend from heaven. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's creativity. And all the things that God, the portrait that God paints in Revelation is beautiful. I can't wait to get there in Revelation as we study it there. But he says, you've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable amount of angels, a beautiful description. So again, he's trying to contrast what they have with what they're wanting to exchange it for. And what they're wanting to exchange it for is far inferior Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, firstborn means preeminent one, um, who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. These believers under great persecution could have lost many solid or valued relationships at this point. And what the writer's trying to do is get them to see you're a part of something that's a larger whole, the church and you're a citizen of heaven, far greater than any earthly relationship that we may have lost because of persecution. And so he's saying, yeah, you've lost some relationships, but you're not alone. You're part of a general assembly. You're part of the church, and the word church means called out ones, of the the firstborn, the one who is preeminent, the supreme one, Jesus, the one who is better than all these other things that you're wanting to, to, to go back to. He's the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect or complete. And then he continues, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Look at all these words related to the old covenant that he has. I mean, you can't fit any more old covenant in verse 24 than what's already there. His Mediator, covenant, blood being sprinkled, Abel, that's all talking about the Old Testament. And, and their familiarity with it. And he's using all this Jewish imagery to demonstrate, of, again, as we've seen all through the book, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all of the things that they were thinking about going back to. He's a better mediator than that high priest ever was in the Old Testament. He's a, he's a better high priest, as we've seen. His blood is better than the blood of animals. The blood of animals only took care of sin, covered sin, for a year. And then he just rolled it ahead one year, rolled it ahead one year, until finally the cross where he could remove the sin to be taken away forever. And, and that blood, of course, speaks of, of better things than Abel. What, is, what did Abel's blood speak of? Vengeance. Vengeance. But Jesus' blood speaks of, it is finished, totally forgiven, all sufficiency. I mean, there's so many things that that blood represents, You have something entirely superior to anything that you've ever dreamed of in the Old Testament, and you need to stick with what you have. Now, in verses 25 through 29, he gives his final warning in the book, and he begins in verse 25 by saying, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from earth heaven. There's a repeating word. I don't know if you saw it in verse 25. It's the word escape. And that gets my attention because he's speaking to believers. How many times have we seen that over and over? These are believers. These are Christians. And we usually don't associate uh, the word escape with our relationship with God as believers. Like, how will we escape? That's what he says, isn't it? For they did not escape who refused him. And then he says again, much more shall we, and he even includes himself, not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. He's already said in an earlier chapter, I believe chapter 2, how will we escape if we neglect such a great a salvation? This is his warning here. And this is one of four or five warnings, major warnings, the last one, that we've seen all of them leading up to this point. But he's saying, don't refuse him who speaks. That's interesting to me. Because he says, if you refuse him who speaks or you refuse what he says, it's equivalent to refusing him. Did you see that? He says, do not refuse him who speaks. He didn't say, refuse what he says. It's worse than that. (laughs) It goes further than that. You're not just refusing what God says. You're refusing him himself. God makes us see that very, very clearly. That hurts. That's heavy duty. That's heavy. That's a word from the 60s, 70s, it's heavy. I think it's still used today. Didn't Shaggy say that in Scooby-Doo? I don't know, but it, it fits. It's heavy to, have, to be at risk of re- refusing him. None of these believers would think that they'd be refusing God if they, if they went back under the law. They went back under that legal relationship, but the truth is, he says, you will. You will suffer. You will not escape it. Sometimes we do this mental gymnastics in our mind, thinking that we're the exception to to the rule that's in God's word. God clearly lays it out. And there's points in the the New Testament where he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. God is not mocked. (laughs) And he's saying all these things to believers. God does uh, judge. He judges believers at times in terms of allowing them to reap what they sow. And we've already seen that he allows discipline. uh, and And his heart behind that is a heart of love. Now, what's even more interesting is that there's an ongoing danger. That word see there at the beginning of verse 25, it's in the continuous tense there. What it's really saying is continuously see or make sure or ensure that you do not refuse him who speaks. That tells me that I'm at risk in an ongoing way. I could, at the beginning of my walk, had a great habit of listening to what he says and heeding what he says and heeding his word. But over time, I can start compromising and I can start disobeying and make little these little compromises end up being big compromises. And before I know it, I'm unrecognizable. I have seen far too many tragic endings or at least uh, outcomes of people that, continue to, to, to reject what his word is saying to them as believers. And so I, I take the sobriety of this. I receive the sobriety of this, of verse 25. They're, they're risking rejecting Christ. And that's not what we're talking about, but that it could lead that direction for us. So in any context, I need to be careful. Am I rejecting his word? Am I listening to his word? Am I not just, uh, am I just listening to it in a, in in a, um, you know, in an intellectual sense? It's dangerous to be in a Bible study or reading the Word of God for myself only looking for something that's new that I've never learned before. That's very dangerous because it's not just for that. We need to grow in the knowledge of Christ, but also to to measure that against ourselves. We're going to get into James, Lord willing, next week, and he's going to talk about the Word of God being like a mirror and not walking away from it forgetting what you look like because it's a true assessment of our lives. We need to heed that voice. Because if we reject his voice, we're actually neglecting our relationship with him. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, not a, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. There's all kinds of different ways to describe God, and even all the ways that that we have are not adequate to fully describe someone that's into, infinite. And and he is a consuming fire that's supposed to produce a sobriety and a godly fear in our lives. And he's saying everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. He's going to shake this world. He's going to shake this universe. And everything that remains is that which is firmly rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought things were going to get easier if they went back to Judaism. Things are going to get better for them if they went back under the law. And he said, how shall we escape? He's saying everything that can be shaken will be shaken. This world's getting worse and worse and worse. And I think commensurate with how bad this world's getting, I think we should be getting going deeper and deeper and getting stronger and getting more rooted and grounded in him, more mature, growing in our faith. He's not concerned at all about the economy. He's not concerned at all about the way this world's going. He's not biting his nails. He's not taking medication. He's not, you know, going to a a support group. And I'm not making fun of those things for us. I'm just saying he doesn't need any of those things. He's not worried about it. As it's been said, we've looked at the end of the book. He wins. You know, we need to be looking at everything in our lives through the prism of that he wins. And all this is leading somewhere by a sovereign God who's in control. And we need to have that freshly washed over our hearts and our minds because we, every single day we're faced with, well, am I going to obey him? Am I not going to obey him? Is, is, is his word true or not? And, and we can falter. And his grace is so faithful, isn't it? To be there for us when we really are wavering. We waver all the time. We don't let other people know. We act like we are you know, have it all together. We don't necessarily try to do that. Some of us do at times. We don't have it all together. This is supposed to be a hospital here. And if we can't be real and honest and humble and vulnerable with one another, where can we be those things? This is supposed to be a place of healing. And and God wants that. And so he says, I'm going to shake everything. But you won't be shaken if you're rooted in me. Go back to the law, you will be shaken. Go back to the old covenant, you're going to be moved. But he says, I want to warn you. Again, this is a strong warning. He's—he—he's. He, he's, how many more ways can he say that that God is going to shake everything and and find out what's truly genuine? You know, when you are panning for gold, I did that I think once um, in sixth grade, and you're 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 going. And I'm like, why am I doing this? People have gold. You know, they don't need a sixth grader looking for gold. You know, uh, and I'm there shaking stuff, and there's mud, and there's you know, I'm getting gum wrappers and like this isn't really a genuine, uh, you know, uh, nature here. There's gum wrappers in my, my, my gold pan or whatever. And, and, and I'm trying to find some gold. I didn't find any gold. And they're like, well, you know, you might find some fool's gold by accident. Like, I feel like a fool already looking for this stuff. I'm not finding anything. And you're sifting trying to find what's truly genuine. And that's exactly what he's doing in their lives right now and doing in our lives, shaking us. Before the real shaking happens, shaking us by his spirit saying, I want to, you to be the genuine article. I want you to stay strong, stay rooted and grounded in me because you think things are tough now. Just wait till what's coming upon this world. You know, the Lord Jesus said that there's a, a, a tribulation coming that up to that point hadn't happened and, and in the future will not happen greater than this, the, the, the tribulation that that's gonna experience, uh, the world's going to experience here. And he says to one of the churches in Revelation, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's about to come on this whole world. And I believe he's talking about the rapture of the church. And so great sobriety there. Now in chapter uh, 13, the writer, he really gets to how we can live out these things and apply these things. He saved it for the end (laughs) and how we live out this better covenant. He begins in verse 1 with, let brotherly love continue. And this is the word Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. This is phileo is the word. And it's talking about the, a, a, you know, a, we think brotherly love like, you know, we're jolly good fellows and we're all in this brotherhood. And it's talking about a family. And, I, and that's why I refer to us as a family a lot. Because we're, so, we're spiritual family. We have more in common with our spiritual family than we ever do our earthly families unless they know the Lord. And we're going to be with each other for all eternity. Our family members may not, unfortunately. They may, we hope, we pray. But we are true family. And there's a reason why he says in verse 1, let it continue, because we could not let it continue. We can just stop that faster than anything we've ever stopped before. We can stop having that brotherly love for one another. So he says, let it continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so... Some of unwittingly entertained angels, so he 's talking about when there's people walking down the street that you don 't know, you bring them in your house and you start playing the guitar for them and or maybe you do a stand up routine or you you know no it 's not talking about that kind of entertaining you know uh, you know in this time they didn 't have hotels. I would break dancing for them, trying to anyway it 's all I can really try to do, uh, but you know they didn 't have motel sixes uh, down the road and, and all these things. And, and when people are traveling, they, they needed a place to stay. And this is talking about, I believe, believers uh, especially. And he's saying, don't forget them. Let this new covenant, this better covenant be lived out in extending hospitality. So important that we extend hospitality, that we know each other's needs enough, and we're willing to help and, and kind of roll up our sleeves and get our get our hands dirty, so to speak, and get very practical with people. To say, how you, how you doing? Fine. No, how are you really doing? Well, kind of struggling right now. We need to ask those questions. And he says, if by, by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. You know, angels sometimes have appeared where you know it's an angel. Where you're just falling on your face and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. You know? But many times, especially in the Old Testament, we see Angels appear, and no one even knows anything different. They think that they're a human. Lot entertained angels. And I know now he's very thankful for, the, for doing so, but he, didn't, he wasn't aware right away that those were anything other than just people and so forth. So, extending hospitality. Remember, verse 3, the prisoners, as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also." So he's saying, there's believers, you are getting persecuted, but there are other believers that you know that are in prison because of persecution. And he says, be, remember them as if you're chained with them. You know, we're told in other passages that if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. That's the idea here. He says, those who are mistreated, remember them because you yourselves are in the body also. Again, I believe this is talking about believers here. It's not laudable to, to be in prison, you know. Uh, of course. And we need to be engaged in prison ministry. That's great. But this is really talking about believers being put into prison uh, for their faith. We need to remember them. And, and in that day, they didn't have necessarily the, the means to, to supply for all the prisoners. They, if you needed food, many times it's people brought you food or brought you clothes. You remember Paul, at the end of his life, he tells Timothy, he says, you know, bring the, my cloak and bring the books and especially the parchments. They, they, you needed someone to take care of your needs. And he's saying, don't forget them. That's how this new covenant, this better covenant gets lived out. Verse four, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So he, there was most likely a false teaching at this time saying that if you're married, you're you have a less standing with God or you're less spiritual with God. I mean, Paul did say that if you have the opportunity or you have the gift of, of celibacy, that that's better in the terms of opportunities. But he didn't say that you would have a higher standing with God or a better relationship or with God or you're more spiritual. And so he's defending that marriage here. <laughs> marriage is honorable among all. So whatever teaching they were being susceptible to, he's saying, that's not true. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. The beautiful sexual relationship between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, there's nothing wrong with that. And there, there could have been teaching saying, if you, you know, uh, are not intimate with your spouse, then you're more spiritual and you need to have times where you uh, withhold that from the other spouse. Now, we're told in scripture that we, are, we can refrain at times for prayer and fasting, but to not go do that too long lest we be tempted. You know, that scripture has nothing to do with, with separation, by the way, of marriage, when you, you, know, be legally separated and so forth. I mean, there's times that can, that can be there, but that verse is not talking about that. So he's saying um, the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Fornication is sexual relations with another person before marriage and, and other sexual uncleanness. Uh, and adultery is is breaking that marriage covenant after we're married and so he's saying don't mis- don't be deceived god will judge you and 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 that's a good <laughs> a good reminder for us i mean we have to this culture is wicked and it's it's all around us we think oh it's just this culture no it was back then too there was incredible debauchery and wickedness back then there's nothing new under the sun and so we need to guard against that just think of all the the, the the marriages that are under attack. We pray regularly for the marriages in our body here. Regularly, I mean weekly for sure. Many times daily, we pray for the marriages in this fellowship. They're under attack, and so we have to be careful what we allow into our lives. Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, the context is important. They're being persecuted. They've lost probably some physical possessions. It's possible that some of them have lost their jobs, especially in the Jewish context. If you were put out of the synagogue, you lost all your connections. That was the place where you would get hired for certain trades and so forth. So because of that, they could have lost material things. And he says, you need to conduct your life without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. We don't hear that from the faith teachers you know, they, they, they're they not talking about being content a lot. They're talking about whatever you want, confess that. And, and you know, it's God's will if you confess it and have enough faith to have a Rolls Royce. You know, they've said that. You know, that's false teaching. We need to be content with the things as we have. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Those who desire to be rich fall into a trap and pierce themselves through with many griefs. It's very important we can get distracted so easily, especially this is the context of our well, they call it the recovery. It's hardly a recovery right now. I still consider it the Great Recession. But to be focused on all the things that that were lacking, and we need to see this. We need to we need to have of course, our basic necessities met, and God does that, but all these other things, and keeping up with the Joneses, and having, you know, the fancy this, or two of that, or the big screen whatever, God just says, be content with the things that you have. That's how you live out this better covenant. And then he says, the greatest possession of all, look at the end of verse 5, he says, Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. How can, you know, You ever said about somebody, well, how can you buy something for them? They have everything to talk about the ultimate sense of that. He has everything. He has the Lord Jesus. How can we ever be fighting against contentment when ultimately we have our greatest prize in the Lord Jesus Himself? He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is more obviously more than a possession, but we do have Him. He, we do have him as a treasure, and he wants to remind us of that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall no, lack no good things, still true. And it's even more true in the new covenant because it's a better covenant. Verse 6, so we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Oh, that's a good one right there. What can man do to us? Maybe some of us are here and we are afraid of what man can do to us. Well, Jesus is with us and we have a sovereign God who's responsible for everything in our lives, who loves us. And ultimately, if God is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's a, it's a great encouragement. There's nothing that God allows in our lives where it doesn't go through his sovereignty first. And that's a comfort. The enemy had to go through God to get to Job. God wasn't, you know, out of control or, oh, no, what's, you know, this is beyond my reach or whatever. The, even the enemy had to, had to get permission. And so it's important for us to see that God is our helper. There's nothing to fear. Man ultimately can't do anything to me. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. This is could be people that were leaders in their lives before, and and now they're not in their lives anymore. And to remember them, to pray for them, I'm, and he does use the present tense there, who currently rule over you, so it's also including them who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. And that's interesting because when you look at the qualifications for leaders in in Timothy and Titus, as I've mentioned before, as we've gone through them, they're all character-based. So God's ultimate concern related to leaders, wherever the Lord places you in his body, we're just a very small part of a larger whole. The character is important. Character is very, very important. And, and God says this is something that the, the body of Christ should look to as an example, considering the outcome of their conduct. Look at the fruit of their conduct. And, and, and look at that as, as the sign of whether or not they are legitimate uh, uh, leaders because that's what God does in our lives. He produces fruit through our lives. And as we are used by the Lord and so forth, with all of us, not just leaders, all of us, people look at the outcome of our lives, look at the fruit of our lives, and it makes a difference. You know, I have a, some friends that I've known since childhood, and they've, they can't, it's hard for them to even understand where I'm coming from because of all that the Lord's done in, in my life. But they can't deny the life that I get to live because of the grace of God that's been poured out on my life. You know and and so that is something that for which I'm very thankful and it's supposed to encourage them to go to the same path because Jesus doesn't show any partiality he doesn't change look at verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever we quote that scripture a lot and it is applicable in many different contexts it's not that we just have to narrowly apply it to this but rarely do you ever hear the context of in which this was uh, given And he's saying that the the outcome of leaders' lives and other people's lives is produced by Jesus. And if he did it in the past, if he does it in the present, if he's going to do it in the future, he's going to do it in your life too, if you look to that example. He's faithful to produce that fruit through our lives, no matter who we are, no matter what background, no matter how how much of a project we are. We're all a huge project, uh, but God is not afraid of a project. He loves to get us as projects, and he makes us into beautiful trophies of his grace. But he doesn't change. And we can wake up one day and, and feel like Jesus has changed. Does that happen to anyone besides me? Jesus has changed. He doesn't deal with me now as he did with me then, and he's not going to deal with me in the future as he's dealing with me today. Somehow, his character's has changed. He deals with, with people differently. And he's making some kind of exception to faithfulness in my life because I'm not really feeling that he's all that faithful right now. That's where our emotions go. But he says, no, he doesn't change. And his word never changes. We need to look to that because that is constant. He says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, these strange doctrines, and we say again, the doctrines have been bad, uh, you know, they're bad today, and they've never been that bad. They were bad back then. We've had false teaching all the way since the beginning of man, and he he itemized kind of what it is there at the middle of verse 9 when he says, not with foods which have not profited those who have been accompanied with them. And elsewhere, the Apostle Paul said, don't listen to all those false teachers when they say, do not touch, do not handle. Somehow keeping away from certain foods is going to make me more spiritual. I've heard it in the body of Christ where you're going to be more spiritual if you're a vegetarian. Because they, you know, ate vegetables and fruit in the garden. And later on with, with, with uh, Noah after the flood, he, he gave permission to eat meat. But but that may be healthy for you or certain people or whatever, but that doesn't give us a higher standing with God. It doesn't mean that I'm more spiritually mature But that was happening in that time. It happens today. But in this context, they were really having to deal with that. He says, don't be carried about. It's the picture of being carried by a wave, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, another passage says. But he says, it is good that the heart be established by grace. The false teaching taught that I need to be established by what I do or what I don't do related to what I eat or not eat in my relationship with him. He says, that's not, that's not how your heart should be established. Your heart should be established by grace. Isn't grace healing for our hearts? It is so healing to me. I could never get enough of God's grace. I used to be in a health, unhealthy and spiritual environment and the pastor at one point made fun of people that wanted to be engaged or talk about a lo- a grace a lot. And he called them graceaholics, And it was a derogatory term. And I was a new believer learning all about God's grace. And, and God overrode what he said and said, my grace is something you should explore and learn about and go as deep as you can into. And I didn't even know the, the verses related to it. But his spirit told me right away, you need to go deep into my grace. And we know from Scripture, and I know now that we're going to be exploring the riches of his grace for all eternity. But maybe your heart today needs to be established again by grace. Maybe you need to be reminded, I know I need to be reminded, that God deals with us on the basis of grace and his unconditional love, not on my works or not my quote-unquote failures or successes. It's all based upon his grace. He doesn't want us to be holding on by a thread with grace. He wants to have us be firmly established and rooted to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So no matter what, how I fail or no matter what anyone says about me or no matter what anyone thinks about me, I am firm in God's, how I see God seeing me. And that's not going to change based on my performance. That's being established in grace. I love Pastor Chuck saying, I expect God to bless me. I love that. Because it's not based on him, it's based on God. And God is all loving, and if God doesn't show partiality, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he's going to bless me. He wants to bless me, based on who he is, not based on who I am. Now he tells them all of what they have in verse 10 through 14. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, what we have is far greater. They could never even come close to the intimacy with God that we have because of the new covenant and Jesus. For the bodies of those animals which blood is brought into the sanctuary uh, by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. And that's what would happen for certain sacrifices. They would Everything would be uh, consumed as much as possible, and then they would be taken outside the camp to be disposed of. And he says, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. So Jesus suffered outside the city, outside in Calvary is outside the city walls there. And that's where he suffered. It was a it was a, it was an expression of, of judgment on a, for us. It was an expression of judgment and rejection in the sense of punishment. To be put outside anything is usually a uh, a punishment. You know when you're little, you know, you need to Go somewhere, you know, go outside, go play, go in the backyard. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes that the, the lack of patience and so forth that we are producing in the, our parents, you know, is an expression of punishment or whatever. And he's saying, identify with Jesus. He says, let us go forth to him. Notice, to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. This is what the Jewish believers were dealing with. They were being persecuted. They were bearing, they they weren't bearing reproach very well. That's why they were being tempted to go back into Judaism. And he's saying, are you above Jesus? Jesus was was brought outside the camp and crucified and bore that reproach. And if he did that, then you should be able to bear that reproach of persecution. And so in that sense, you need to go outside the camp with him. But we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Again, they could have been put out of the temple. They could have been put out of Jerusalem or not allowed to come to the feast. We don't know. But he's getting their eyes off the physical, off the earthly, you know, things that we lose and getting their eyes on the heavenly goal, the prize. And he says, we have no continuing city. In other words, on, in this world, where it's just our home forever, we're, we're just passing through. But we seek the one to come. Again, he's already mentioned it. The new Jerusalem. We're seeking that city. Get your eyes off what you're losing now, whether it's things or people, relationships, the, the this, this city, the this sacrificial thing, which God knew was going to end in a few years. All that's going away. Get your eyes off of that and get on your eyes onto heaven and the eternal perspective. Isn't that what we need when we're going through difficulty and trial? Someone to faithfully come to us and say, you're just seeing right in front of your face. Get your eyes up and look at the big picture here. And look what God's doing in your life. Get an eternal perspective. And of course, we say it a lot more tactfully than I may. <laughs> you know, but basically, we're trying to say it. Have an eternal perspective. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It's a good real verse on, on, on worship here. And he, and he calls it a sacrifice of praise. Now, it may be a sacrifice of praise to the people around you, too, because they have to hear you. That's how it is for me. You know, like, Woo, that's a sacrifice. <laughs> we sing really good in the shower, but we don't really have the, those acoustics here uh, for, for that. You know, I don't know if you've noticed that. But he says, notice, continually offer. So, yes, you may not be able to offer these sacrifices in the temple anymore, or, or engage in the sacrificial system that you're tempted to go back to. But that doesn't mean you're not offering sacrifices. That doesn't mean that you're not participating in, in a sacrificial system. It's just a superior sacrificial system. Jesus said, you know, that the time is coming and has now come that those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not related to any specific geographical location there. He says it has to be done continually. We come forward to wor- when we come here to worship, or any time when we're we're worshiping in song. Please understand that it's very normal for us to may not at the moment feel like doing that. I mean, we wouldn't be honest if we said it was we always felt like it. And that's where we have to just get our hearts right and quiet our hearts down, and give him the worship that he's due, no matter what we feel, because he's worthy, no matter what we feel. He's always going to, you're never going to feel like he's not worthy in a sense of a legitimate beef or case that you have with him that you could make. He is worthy of our worship. And, and that's never going to change no matter what we go through. He's always going to be worthy of our worship. And he values a sacrifice of praise. We see that in the verse. He values that. When we're doing it in faith, sometimes we sing those songs, and sometimes you may have looked at the, the lyrics up there on the screen, and you thought, I, I can't mean that right now. I don't mean that in my heart. And sometimes God brings us to the point where we say it in faith. We may not feel like it's true at the moment, but we say it in faith, honoring him with our faith, saying it with complete trust in him. And and God's gracious. He helps us and he brings us along to where we get to the point where we're just letting it all go and we're fully engaging him in faith as we worship him. And, And it matters to him what we say. It's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, then he says, do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That's easy to forget, to do good and to share. Where well, Our culture and our flesh are self-consumed, and we're not thinking about it. That's why I love the Christ Cares Ministry coming online and having that expand and having a, a means by which to meet one another's needs in a practical way. They did that all through the, the the book of Acts. They met each other's needs. They didn't have a lot, but whatever they had that was available for other people. And I, I'm telling you, as things get worse and worse in this world, that's going to become more and more relevant. I even see it's very possible that persecution could get so bad that we will be cohabitating. And you're like, oh please, what's he talking about there? I don't want to even think about that. Oh, may let my mind go there. But it may get that bad. Well, we're sharing homes and maybe we're rotating around. I don't know. But, but persecution is going to get bad in this world, and and I, I'm afraid to even think about what we're going to go through to say nothing of our kids or our grandkids, even more reason to stay true to him. My favorite verse in the Bible, verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you, you know, wherever we are in the body of Christ, wherever we, God has placed us, um, he, if, the, if the person is called, he's going to be a healthy uh, person. Uh, and, some, and I know a lot of you are coming from situations where you've been hurt by leaders. So this verse is very um, uh, shaky for you to, to, to think about because maybe you've been beat over the head with this verse and, 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 and getting, you know, with a, like a baseball bat. And I'm sensitive to that. I've gone through that myself. I've gone through spiritual abuse in the past, and, and I know many of you have as well, and so I recognize that the, 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 the way that God has called leaders to be are servant leaders, and they have no authority to micromanage your life. They only have authority where God's word is concerned, and they have authority to say, this is God's word, and, and, and you need to obey it, just like you have the right to say that to them. It has to go both ways. It's not just i have everything to say to you you have nothing to say to me that's not that's not biblical paul wrote in first corinthians chapter 16 um, he asked apollos to come he didn't command him he said in second corinthians chapter one that they don't have dominion over uh, the corinthians faith he said to uh, i could command you but for love's sake i appeal to you in philemon in first peter chapter five he says shepherd the flock of god which is among you serving as overseers and then he says not lording over them, and Jesus talked about that. Don't be like the Gentiles, lording over them, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. And so, there, yes, there is authority, but there should be a servant's heart. Jesus has a very low tolerance for abusive leadership. He said uh, to one of the churches in, in Revelation chapter 2 that he hates the doctor of the Nicolaitans, and that they've tried to come up with all these re what was Nicolaitan and all this. It's, it's, it's. Uh, this whole, you know, idea of crushing or or conquering the laity, and to be abusively uh, um, demonstrably, uh, you know, controlling, and and that's horrible. But just because there's the abuse doesn't mean there's not the. Cr- and one of the hardest things to help someone work through when they have been abused is how to biblically be in submission to authority, not just in the church but everywhere. And he says, you are to be submissive in verse 17. That's, and I said last week, I said, there's a difference between obedience and submission. Obedience is something that's taken from you in a sense that you are obeying outwardly, but submission is something you offer to someone and you give to someone. And every time someone is obedient in that, in any environment of, of being in submission to any authority that God's placed in our lives, you put yourself in the place of blessing. And so that's an encouragement from, from God's word. He says, they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. We will give an account for how we do that. Every teacher of God's word is going to have a stricter judgment. We're going to see that next time in, 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 uh, in James, but he says, let them do so with joy and not grief for that would be unprofitable for them. No, notice the end of verse 17. It would be unprofitable for you. I've seen so many people suffer because they're not teachable. And they suffer way more than the, than the leader ever does because they're not teachable and humble to what they're saying related to what they're showing them out of God's word. They suffer. It's unprofitable for, for you. So take that as an encouragement for you. You know, the average pastor leaves a, a pastorate over seven people. Think about that. Seven people. It doesn't matter how big the church is. The average pastor leaves over seven people. Think about that. And so he says, pray for us, verse 18. <laughs> for we are confident that we, have a, that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. And so he's saying we have a good conscience, but that doesn't mean we stop getting prayer. It doesn't mean that we stop getting, asking for help to continue to live this way. We have no idea what accusations were being made against them. But he says we need prayer. Pray for, the, pray for the leadership. I know many of you do. Pray for one another, but pray for the leadership um, that we would remain usable. It's our biggest prayer request, that we would remain usable, that we wouldn't be impressed with ourselves. And we would be not impressed with what we know, but we would be dependent upon him. Then he gives this, uh, well, he says, but I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. There's his heart. And then he gets to a benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, of course there's one great shepherd, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God wants fruit. God wants fruit being produced through our lives. It matters to him how we live our lives he wants us to be complete and ready to do his will and so he's saying I know you're going through difficulty I know you're going through hardship right now but you still need to be obedient to his calling on your life so many ministry opportunities are there in ways that we don't expect in the context of trial and difficulty but we have to be looking for it and be willing to let him use our lives and I appeal to you brethren bear with the word of exhortation again being teachable for I have written to you in a few in few words. I love that. This whole book, all 13 chapters, these are few words. Did you know that? See, so long sermons are not bad because it's just a few words. See, biblical, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you. So greet your leaders for us and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all amen. Very important, just to review quickly, that as we've seen all these things, we need to remember that what we have is infinitely greater than whatever we could be tempted to leave what we have for. And he wants the Jesus is better theme of this book that we've seen over and over and over again to permeate through our lives, that we have the greatest prize, we have the greatest possession ever, and we're in a world that's fallen and going to hell and God wants our lives to be different and look different. And if we don't appreciate what we have and that it is better and, and, and superior to anything out there, then we won't be used in the way that he wants us to be used. There's, there's, there's eternity at stake in the spheres, our spheres of influence. And he wants us to get our attention to say there's a lot at stake here. Pay attention to what I have you in the middle of. It's not a small thing what you're doing. Be available. Be usable. Value what you have and, and allow me to use your life in ways beyond you could ever imagine. And I think that's the word for us uh, as we close the book. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for all this wealth that we've got to look through today. We know, Lord, that the time that you've set aside for us to study it, Lord, is not worthy of your word. We know that. We're thankful for all the lessons, Lord. We thank you for this, the, the preeminence of our, uh, the new covenant that we're in. And we're thankful for the places that you have us, Lord, letting us be an extension of you in them. So we pray, Lord, the theme of this book would would be used by you many times over as we continue our pilgrimage, Lord. We're so grateful that we get to be a different kind of people, Lord. Make us more and more like you, especially as we go to the next book. Help us, Lord, to be yielded over to you in whatever you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen.